Welcome to episode two of She Knows Now Radio, the monthly podcast dedicated to having a big conversation with exceptional women across professional industries. The mission of She Knows Now is to produce confidence affirming content and events for millennial women to empower her journey towards self-actualization. I'm your host, Tiffany Harden, marketer, entrepreneur, and the founder of She Knows Now. And you're listening to She Knows Now Radio. Remember, you can always reach out to us online at SheKnowsNow.com and on Twitter and Instagram by typing in SheKnowsNow. Don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter to stay informed on our giveaways and our amazing events. So today's guest is Karen Gandhi. She is a Los Angeles-based musician, feminist, activist, and music industry thinker with an MBA from Harvard. She's toured professionally, drumming for MIA and Thievery Corporation, and she's currently producing music under her own umbrella called Madame Gandhi. She also advises music companies like Spotify, STEM, Bonnaroo, and more. And currently, probably most well-known for the London Marathon Bleeding Freely uh, incident, which she did to combat the stigma around menstruation, and it sparked a global conversation. So we're definitely going to talk to her about that. Her main goal is combining her intellectual and musical talents in order to reimagine a music industry that is healthier for women and girls around the world. So get ready to listen up, take notes, and be inspired by this rock star. So please, would you tell us about your beginnings in in music and how you actually found the drum set? Yes, absolutely. I'm so stoked to be here on this um, podcast with you. I I grew up in New York City, and I was playing the drums um, since I was 11. I actually found it at a summer camp. My music then grew when I was in college because I used to play a lot in D.C. I went to Georgetown. And I used to play with Thievery Corporation. I used to sit in with a lot of really talented um, musicians in the music scene there. And they really helped me sort of come of age as a musician. They welcomed me and invited me to play in very different scenarios. And I just loved it. I felt empowered by it. I felt like I got to see so much more of the world, meet so many more people just by being a musician and being called for gigs. Um, You get to meet audience members who are music lovers. And so I just felt like my friendship circle was always expanding. Um, and from there I decided that I wanted to not only just be playing drums at night, but I wanted to work in the music industry. So I went out to LA after graduation in 2011. I started working for Universal Music Group, Interscope Records, as their first digital analyst. And then I did that for two years. And then my drumming career continued because I started touring with MIA for a year. She was signed to Interscope. So all this uh, this drumming has really, it's been an absolute journey. It empowers me a lot. It makes me feel good. It's, it's shown me so much of the world. Did you think, um, <laughs> did you think a bass drum would ever take you so far? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I didn't think that. But sometimes when you just do something that feels really good, other people can see that you just love it. And that because of that, you end up being really good at it. And I think that's becomes like the way you move forward. That's dope. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you met MIA and like how, you know, did you say like, hey, I'm a digital analyst and I also play the drums. So I'm going to play in your that's band. A question. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I remember we were in a meeting and I saw on our um, agenda sheet for that day that we were starting to talk about MIA's upcoming album, which was called Matangi. And it was in 2012, gearing up for 2013. And um, I know how you know, the launch works. We usually put out a single, then a music video, and then um, an album. And 
I remember sort of making a joke at the meeting to her product manager and said, you know, I might need a drummer and um, maybe like a female drummer who's brown, who <laughs> loves to play electronic music um, would work. And her product manager actually took me seriously and said, uh, you know, if you're serious, send me a video. And I went home uh, that weekend and got some friends together who were videographers. We made a fresh video for her of me drumming to some of my favorite tracks. And we sent it to the product manager who forwarded it onwards to MIA. And Maya responded directly to me. And she said, this is really cool. I like this. Uh, let's think about working together in the future. And already with just that email, I was so happy. You know, I didn't expect anything more. But she actually did follow up with me about six months later and say, hey, yeah, let's take you. We want you on the tour. That is badass. So you quit your job at Universal? Exactly, yeah. It had been two years. I wrapped up my time at Universal. And actually, I had gotten into business school. I got into Harvard Business School. And so I was on the track to go to Boston. And this was the summer right before starting school that I got offered the tour. So it actually worked out really well because I did the tour right before school and thinking I wouldn't do any more dates. And then school started. <laughs> but all of a sudden, when business school started in the fall of 2013, I got called to do far more dates. We got called to do Chile, Argentina, Mexico City, Fun 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 Fest, LA, New York. I mean, tons and tons of shows. And I remember thinking, oh my God. I'm going to have to choose between business school and MIA. Like, this is so difficult. <laughs> but um, in the end, you know, I ended up doing both simultaneously. I would go to class in the morning and then quickly fly to New York at night and play the show and then fly back on a 5 a.m. flight and catch class the next day. And it worked, you know. Neither one of them kicked me out. So that was good. <laughs> that is amazing. It's like, that's really dope that you were able to kind of hustle both, both of those yeah. situations. So it worked for you. What so it, what's one of the things that you felt like you you learned on tour, not just from MIA, but just um, being on the tour in general that really sort of resonated with your truth? I think the thing that I learned the most from her was her ability to take really difficult, um, high-level political concepts and put them into music that people can understand and dance to. I think that's so effective, and it really speaks to your theme of Trojan horsing not only feminism, but, you know, your politics in general, your values into everything that you do. And she just would tell really beautiful stories in her music um, or use metaphors to describe, yeah, complicated, um, you know, dynamics in Sri Lanka, complicated dynamics with revolutionary warfare, complicated dynamics when it comes to um, cyber warfare that now we're seeing a lot with the United States against the rest of the world. And she was just so clever at the way she would comment on these things. And I definitely want to draw from that and do that in my music. Um, my band is called Madame Gandhi. And it's a three-piece electronic music project. And, you know, I find lyric writing one of the most difficult things. I think because when I speak about feminism, it's very, um, you know, descriptive. It's academic. It takes a long time to explain a lot of the complex concepts that I want to talk about. Um, but when you're in a song, you want to make these concepts accessible and fun to sing along and, and lyrically enjoyable and flow. And that's a very difficult thing to move from one medium to another. I think for a lot of people, they don't want, even though because they're women in music, like they don't want to have a project that speaks about gender inequality. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people assume that if you're female and doing something like music or arts that you want to champion you know, a feminist cause. And that makes a lot of women really upset because they're like, that's not what's what I'm most passionate about. You know, that's not what I sing about. 
for mm. me, it's very much what I'm passionate about, and so therefore, I sing about it. And I also enjoy speaking about um, gender inequality and educating people as to how we can improve here, um, you know, as young millennials in our generation. And so I use my music as a medium to express how I feel. I've been I've been working as a music manager, and I also work as a marketer, and um, it's just interesting to me how some talent doesn't look at their holistic career and the the sort of larger narratives that they want to create with their music, and it's a a little bit of a narrowed focus. I feel like some artists are like, well, you know what, I sing, and I'm only going to sing, and that's that's it, and I'm going to sing R&B and sing love songs all day and not put any anything that sort of, like, deters from that. So there aren't too many – there's not a lot of music that, in you know, that also uh, has these um, subtleties around, like you were mentioning, what MIA does, you know, whether it's policy or politics or, you know, equality or any of these things. There's not – too many of those overtones in music that sort of reflect what we're going through. Like you're, like you were saying, it's really interesting that the way you view music is sort of a, this is one idea, you know, like of many. You know, I think there's, um, when you speak about what artists choose to sing about in their music, um, you can never blame anyone. You know, it's, it's always what people feel passionate about. They're going to sing about. Mm -hmm. And I think, there was one activity that I did when I was in school that I really appreciated called what's salient to your identity. And we had to look at a list of social identifiers, um, things like race, gender, ethnicity, you know, class, etc. And we had to rank them in order of importance to us. Like if I had to choose one way to identify myself, what's the most important? And for me, it was being female, but for others, it was being Indian or for others, it was being, um, uh, Christian, or for somebody else, it was being tall, you know? Yeah. So all, everyone has different parts of themselves that are really important to them, more so than other parts of themselves. And what we tend to do is don't we don't give the person that we're speaking to the chance to decide that for themselves. We often make assumptions for them. Right. So I can give you an example. Like, a lot of times when I get interviewed, people will ask me questions about India, right? My parents are Indian. My last name is Gandhi. So they'll ask me questions about India or being South Asian or including maybe Hinduism in my music. And even though, yes, of course, my parents are Indian, I grew up in New York City, and so I don't feel as close to my Indian roots as maybe somebody else might. I feel far more comfortable celebrating my femininity and speaking about being female than I do speaking about being of Indian origin. And so when we think about how people want to talk about their music or how they want to be represented, I think that's why so many get uncomfortable when asked about being a feminist, because being female may not be the most important thing to their walk of life, and that's okay. I think it's not fun when we bash each other or put each other down for not doing a certain thing. I think everyone has to be authentic to what's uh, what they're passionate about. So I just give you that as an example because it really helped me understand, like, oh, that's why I get upset when people ask me about India. I'm like, I don't relate to it as much as I want to talk about being female. But when uh, I ask other women, for example, like, what's it like to be a woman in the music industry? Like, we always say that's like, the worst question you can ask a female because you're <laughs> assuming that their being female matters to them that much. But it's not the same for everybody. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's actually really interesting. That um that that question, what's it like to be 
You and, and it's weird because it's like I don't know what's my alternative. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's my alternative? That is so. That is so funny. So you're a runner. Have you always been a runner? No, I actually only started running um, my second year of business school on the Charles River because <laughs> I used to, you know, it would, it would snow in Boston. And in the first year, I was traveling so much, I felt like, you know, I didn't spend as much time in Boston as I wanted to. But one thing I always noticed was it would be snowing or hailing or raining, and all these Boston runners would still faithfully be out running on the Charles River. And I just thought it was so amazing it was just like badass i was like you guys are so raw and tough like it looks awesome it just looks empowering and like self self-sufficient and like yeah awesome and <laughs> i also thought with running you can't cheat the system there's no like you know how they always say like oh harvard has a um you know or just like these prestigious universities have a grading curve a great inflation you know or you can suck up to your professor to get a good grade or maybe you got that opportunity because you're the drummer who looks like this and not like that you know sometimes right. we have these insecurities it's called imposter syndrome where you feel like the only reason why you got a good grade or you got advanced in your life for whatever reason is not because of your own talent it's for some other reason right and many women especially experience imposter syndrome where they don't feel like they belong somewhere and with running, there was just something so honest and so pure about the achievement of it. Like if you run 12 miles, you have run 12 miles. There's no if, ands, or but about it. You earned that. That is real. It's yours forever. You've done it. And I was just so attracted to the purity of it. And so I used to start. I said, Karen, can you run from this bridge to the next bridge? It's one mile. So I used to be like, oh, God. Looks far away, man. <laughs> but I would try and run, run, run. And then I would get there. Like, okay, Karen, like, do you think you can run three miles today? Like, let's try. You know, and then I'd run. And I felt like that was what attracted me to running. It just felt like this really fun way to feel empowered. That's funny. A lot of people feel like it's the most exhausting way to feel empowered. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, was, I was really attracted to the fact that you ran because I'm um, – I'm definitely not a marathon runner like you, but um, and I definitely want to hear you speak on that experience because uh, that that's kind of killer what happened. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, training to do like a half marathon, and Congrats. I'm really hyped. I'm really excited and yes. super nervous. But so I was telling my um, my boyfriend, I was saying, you know, the thing that like keeps me going is literally just listening to music and thinking, oh, I can do one more song. What's one more song? Right. You know, <laughs> what is what's been your way to sort of get mentally tough around? the run because you did 26 miles or something like that <laughs> yeah oh lord um what i i don't know i just think the music pumped me up i think the more you train the more comfortable you get with it everything just felt really good you didn't get butterflies in your stomach you're like oh i absolutely did on the day of the marathon of course absolutely and then i figured out it was my period <laughs> <laughs> How was that experience? Like, what, like, I wouldn't even know what to do. What did you well, do? Well, you know, when you train for a marathon, um, one thing that you do, which is both superstitious but also just practical, is I would just practice running in the exact outfit that I was going to run on marathon day because you want to wear clothing that you know um, you won't chafe in. So, like, the exact socks that I practiced in, I made sure to bring, you know, the exact, like, shoes and, um, tights and shirt etc like I had practiced running in those and you know washed them and brought them out to the marathon course and so 
getting my period really was the worst thing because I never had really run um, long distance on my period, especially the first day when it's very heavy and very painful. And I didn't want to wear like a pad or a tampon because they actually say that it chafes you really badly after a certain amount of time. And also if you think about the fact that there's no privacy on a marathon course, um, changing out that stuff would seem um, not something that I'd want to do <laughs> in front of other people. Um, there's very few porta potties. I didn't want to run having to carry an extra tab, tap on our pad. Like all these things people don't talk about, but they're very uncomfortable for women. And so for me, I was like, fuck it. I literally just free bleed and hope that nothing actually happens. But like, I'm just going to go for it because I don't want to change how I've practiced running. I don't want to run with a foreign object in my body. I just want to run free. And I liked the idea, you know, I think like bleeding from anywhere for 26 miles is like a punk rock move. You know what I mean? It's like you're <laughs> empowering yourself by just making it happen. And, you know, originally it was a choice about comfort, but you know, when I sat, when I was focusing on my internal dialogue at the start of the race, trying to figure out at the last minute what to do, I was like, wow, the only reason why I'd consider wearing like any sort of, um, tap on our pad would literally be so that like other people don't feel embarrassed like who I'm running next to on the you know on the sidelines like the cheer points like that was the oppression unto itself I was like wow like I on a marathon course should be able to run freely I shouldn't have to consider somebody else's like desire to shame me so that was sort of when it turned into a more of a radical statement like I have a period and I'm still doing this awesome thing and it's a marathon. So you can't shame me. <laughs> you are you not know? allowed to shame me. I'm running 26 miles. Damn it. Right. Right. That's so funny. So you just kept on running, let it bleed. We'll yeah. figure it out later. That's cool. So your, your, um, your mental prep also is really around like just getting it, just finishing, like getting it done. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So w- during the course of the run, was there a time where you were like, you know, I'm good now. I don't need to do this anymore. Or did you always just sort of like, did you get into a groove? Did you get into like the runner's groove? I think oh, it's yeah, called, I like, was totally in a runner's groove. I, we didn't even stop running once. Like everyone tells you, oh, you hit a wall at mile 18 and you're probably going to walk at mile 24. And like we literally, I ran the entire marathon nonstop and it felt incredible. I wasn't expecting that. That's bananas. That is so bananas. So can you, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, Can you speak a little bit about being an academic and and in the music industry and why you decided to go back and get your MBA? Because I I really think a lot of folks that would have been in your position wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have traditionally gotten your MBA if, um, Um, I was working at Interscope Records and I was working for a very, very amazing woman named Brooke Michael, who to this day is a mentor of mine. And she had gotten her MBA and the way she managed our group, managed politics at Interscope and managed the team and sort of was very forward thinking and very good at convincing people of her ideas. Um, she had an MBA and that inspired me. I was like, I want this training in the music industry, um, as someone who's like a rigorous business thinker and can be flexible and create value out of different situations. And that really felt so inspiring. And so that was the main sort of reason why I went and got my MBA. 
both of my parents are also MBAs, so it runs in the family. <laughs> and I think the final reason is that traditionally in the music industry, you definitely didn't leave to go and get um, an academic degree. You stayed because it was a trade. It's like you learn from the greats. You learn production from the greats. You learn the tricks of the trade from A&R people or from people who are label reps because there was a formula. You find, you find a bunch of artists, you invest in all of them, one of them makes it big, and then they sell so many CDs, millions of CDs, that it more than overcompensates for the losses that you, had, you, know, you invested in the other artists. But now in the music industry, we don't sell CDs anymore, so the margins are far thinner. In fact, you know, the value of recorded music has nearly gone to zero. So that's why going to get a more flexible degree where you can actually be a thinker and an innovator in the industry as opposed to someone who's following an old model that no longer works, that seemed like a far better way I could contribute to the music industry as opposed to staying in the old school industry. Got you, which you know, makes a lot of sense. So can you speak to how you want to actualize this, this MBA as a thinker um, in the music industry and does that play into, you know, I know you do a lot of talking and you do podcasts like this one, but how, um, how are you sort of planning on, uh, disrupting in that sense? Um, I think there's three different ways. The first way is through my own band. I think everything that I've learned in business school comes out so much when I work on my own music. Um, managing the timeline, managing how I want the brand to be seen, managing seamlessness across what's being said in the interviews versus like what's experienced in the live show. All of those are very management savvy tools. And also just uh, managing band dynamics, you know, actually being a leader of the group. The second main way is that it's been a phenomenal source of income for me to be a freelance consultant in the industry. So I wrapped up projects for Spotify, I did a project for STEM, I did a project for a music group called Eleven Seven. Um, all these different opportunities have been really good for me because I am able to support myself by using my degree and actually contributing my thoughts to the music industry. And then I would say the final way is that in the long term, I do... I mean, the MBA is not a degree for the year after, you know, it's a degree for your life. I do believe that when I work to found my own company that maybe helps, you know, something similar that you're doing that looks at how we can advance specifically women's causes in the music industry or putting on artists who are doing things that have a global cause, you know, I could see the degree helping in a long-term game like that too. That is perfect. I mean, I hope anyone that's listening to this understands that you can be a academic creative entrepreneur, feminist, marathon runner, <laughs> you can do it all. Um, but it also speaks to your, your ability to be, um, flexible with how you see yourself and where, you know, the, the ceilings or, you know, how far you can go. Um, and I wonder, you know, you mentioned a woman who, uh, sort of helped you see that. I, and I believe, I do believe that, when women see an example, we're able to sort of yes. achieve that. And that's what my insights archive is about on shenosnow.com. And I was interested in, you know, you have MIA, you have Brooke that you mentioned. Is there yes. your mother, um, I'm sure yes. is a huge influence. Um, you know, are there any other women in sort of your immediate tribe that you're like, you know, I'm so inspired and empowered by, by you, by you being you. Who are those people? Mm. I was, I mean, there's a, definitely a couple. Um, there is 
Meryl Garbus of Toon Yards. I absolutely adore her. I love her. She's been like, I've been a fan of hers for so long. And recently um, we linked up a couple times to speak about, you know, gender inequality, to speak about the music industry going forward. And we just have so much fun together. Um, and she really mentors me. She listens to my music and kind of gives guidance. It's really feels so good. Um, another person who I really admire is Kimberly Thompson. She's a very, very well-known jazz artist. Um, she's a very famous drummer and based in New York and LA. Um, the way she talks about both um, the experience as a black woman and as a female in the industry is absolutely profound. I feel like there's not as many women who are as talented as she has. She is doing jazz. And so she uses that platform to make sure that she uplifts other women around her instead of sort of wanting to be the only female, um, I think uh, women like Fabi Reyna and Mindy Avowitz, who respectively started She Shreds Magazine and Top Ten Magazine, which are for female guitarists and female drummers, they inspire me as well because they're leaders who are building spaces for women to be able to be nurtured and to actually, as you said, see other women doing it really well and then come up on their own. Um, a lot of time people have problems with this kind of like affirmative action method whereby you create safe spaces for people of color or for women or for different other kinds of minority groups. But I think they're needed so that you feel nurtured and you can find a community of people who you relate to and then take that and that platform and then go off into the real world and integrate with everybody else. But now that you feel you feel good, you feel talented, you feel supported, you can actually engage instead of starting out from scratch and feeling maybe bullied or uh, uh, that is so major that is so 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 major you know a big part of um our mission which she knows now is to help uh, women realize confidence and you know confidence is very much an internal mindset and it's something that you you nurture and the idea is that you know when you figure out what it is that you want to do you can if you have the confidence you can do anything that you want to do and it never sort of comes into the mindset of i can't because you can, because you're confident that you're confident that you can, but that only that can be nurtured. Um, and I think it's really uh, important to have these safe spaces. And um, the women that you mentioned, I hope our listeners actually like go and look those folks up too, because yeah. um, the platforms that are created for this type of nurturing for women or anyone to go out into the world and say, no, I'm, I'm good. I know I'm good. I have my tribe behind me. <laughs> And I'm, yeah. and I'm moving forward in this space. Um, that's really, really powerful, especially, I think, for for women who um, won't basically accept being ostracized or won't accept um, not not getting in the door. You know, it's right. you, you push the door open. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's too that's too cool. I'm really excited for this conversation. So um there was one last thing I wanted to, to ask you about, and it was around um, when you mentioned earlier that you um, identified as, you know, being female is one of the most salient things that um, that it matters to you and it's it, it, it matters to your identity and something that that's sort of the first thing that you sort of see when you see yourself. Right. <clears throat> um, I'm wondering, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't hear you for a second. I was like, wait, are you here? Um, so I'm wondering, you know, when you move forward in your music and you move forward in your, your consulting and, and everything else, um, are there any sort of final thoughts on how you feel being a woman 
and being all of these things that you are, is there, is there any sort of box that you can't break out of? <laughs> Cause it doesn't seem like there is one. Um, Can you explain a little bit more? Yeah, like, what are you... It doesn't seem like you're... It seems like you're such a... You have so many things, not just going on, but you... You're, you have so many um, sort of checkboxes, you know, like, um, just yes. runner, artist, creative, da-da-da-da. Is there, is there anything that, you know, you have that, you know, you're sort of still trying to feel it out? Is this, like... That's a good question. I think for me as, a, as an artist, for sure, that's definitely something I'm embarking on because I think I've always been a musician, which means that I'm drumming on somebody else's project. But to actually be the artist who's writing the music, building the brand describing the project, um, owning that identity, that's definitely new. But I will say this, which is that one thing I've learned is that really we are defined by our actions and that the more you do anything consistently, the more people are comfortable with giving you that identity. So even on the start of this call, you're calling me a marathoner or a runner, and it's still kind of funny to me because I'm like, you know, out of the 27 years I've lived, like running was important to me for two of those years, but I would feel like compared to other amazing runners, I know like, like <laughs> I'm not a runner, like they are runners, you know, like they're doing it. But it's, it's amazing because I really do feel like we're just defined by our actions. So yes, mm-hmm. like I am a runner because I, I did that for a while and now it's part of my identity and my story. And yes, I'm a, I'm a business thinker. Like, wow, like that's already funny to me. Like, yeah, I'm a business thinker because that was part of my life for a while, you know? So I think that's how I think about it. If there's ever a time where I feel like, wow, I wish I could play up that part of my identity more, or like I wish people saw me in this way, um, really all you have to do is just do it. Uh, Because after a while of consistently doing something, people really do um, give you that credit and give you that that platform. That's, what a great way to sort of like round out this this call. (laughs) Absolutely. Anything that you consistently do that's, it's sort of the habit that you've created, the behavior yes. and, and the reputation and the, the reputation. reputation wow. That's, that's perfect. That's so perfect. Yeah. Um, I got to tell you, this was, I was really looking forward to this call and I was not disappointed. You are oh. such an amazing thinker, marathoner, runner, all this stuff. Oh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tiffany. I love the work that you're doing with Cheetos now. It's very inspiring. I love the company you've built with Guild. Like, Everything is just um, absolutely incredible. The feeling is mutual. Oh, I much appreciate it. So tell us um, where we can find uh, yes. Madam Gandhi and everything else that you have going on so we can you know, yes. Google you. <laughs> I uh, Thank you. I, all of my music work and our tour dates with my actual band is on MadamGandhi.com. And then I also have a personal blog where I write about all the other various activities that we do at KiranGandhi.com. Uh, my Instagram and my Twitter and our SoundCloud is all Madam Gandhi. And right now the music is currently on uh, soundcloud.com slash Madam Gandhi. Oh, that sounds great. So you know we're going to be playing some some Madam Gandhi on this Woo! on this recording. <laughs> awesome. That's so great. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. And, um, you know, I hope that you get to enjoy some time with your family. I know you're on your way yeah, to visit. Yeah, so Almost so much. So perfect. All right, well, I will shoot you a line when this is all good. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you for including me, Tiffany. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thanks, Karen. Okay, bye-bye.